the CTO of WordPress is effectively my CTO. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. I recently came across an article on TechCrunch called Why Do It For Me is the Next Big Thing. So it caught my attention. And here's some research that that article cited. One analyst recently cataloged nearly 2,000 marketing software companies alone. That analyst also noticed that some companies were running 50 to 60 distinct software tools just to manage the marketing function. And I think as small business entrepreneurs, we can relate to this too. I mean, how many different SaaS products are you logging into or your team logging into on a daily basis? And this article is citing this as a giant opportunity. The article goes on to say, in practice, big businesses have been relying on do it for me for decades, but they've called it BPO or business process outsourcing. Small businesses, however, remain an unconquered frontier and obviously a gigantic market, but it's also complicated. Small businesses have complex needs. But for an example, the article says, look no further than Intuit, the king of business software. The majority of business owners who purchase its flagship product, QuickBooks, I'm a QuickBooks user, rely on a third-party accountant to run it for them. So what is this about? This is about essentially selling time to entrepreneurs. And today we're going to talk about how you can do that with a business model my guest calls SWAS. When I shared this article in the DC, my friend Matt Newton replied to me and he said, hey, there's a lot of DCers taking advantage of this opportunity. They're running these things we call SWAS businesses. And so I gave him a ring to talk about it. But before we do that, it's not just TechCrunch that thinks this is a big opportunity. It's Gary V too. Anytime we can get Gary V involved, we might as well do that. Let me roll this clip. The big revelation for me with Uber after I passed an angel round and then invested later was, holy shit, they're selling time. You know, a lot of people here are under the makeup of investing in startup culture versus marketing. So let's get into that realm for a second. The thing that I'm trying to most invest in is people that are buying or capturing and selling back all of us time. When somebody like all of us, the world, is valuing time to such a huge level right. where we're paying three, four, five surge price or we're just paying for time. It's happening everywhere around us right now. Every piece of technology that is selling back us time has an enormous value opportunity. So now Gary's talking about the go big or go home kind of thing. You know, how can we package time and sell it to consumers at scale? On this show, like last week, we're talking about the hard middle. How can we find a thousand true fans or a hundred true customers to sell time to? And that's really what this episode's about. We're going to approach it from this business model called SWAS, which is software with a service. So I called my friend Matt Newton from the Web Agency Podcast to ask him, what's this SWAS thing all about? The reason I came up with the term SWAS 
as in software with a service is just I was really, really struggling to explain my business model to people. Especially, you know, I'd arrived in Chile to participate in Startup Chile and people were like, oh, what does your business do and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and I'd be trying to explain it to them but because they're all software heads, they were kind of looking at me blankly. They, were just, they weren't really figuring it out. It was either a consulting service, a web design service, and if it was, why the heck was I in Chile? Or there was, it was a software. And then when I finally explained it using software with a service, it just people started clicking. Before we get into the dirty details, let's talk about the technicalities of the business model, like what it actually looks like. If you ever read articles about software as a service companies and advice and all that kind of stuff, one of the most common things that they're talking about is customer onboarding, right? How to keep the customer alive because people sign up to software and there's always this learning curve. So with Google AdWords, it's an epic learning curve and that's why they have these onboarding teams and with many other software such as you know Salesforce or Infusionsoft, it goes forever. So this huge problem they have is onboarding customers but if you build a piece of software you surely know how to use it better than anyone else right why not solve the problem of your customer by actually solving the problem for them rather than forcing them to go through your little internal universities or whatever the heck you call it and your little training videos and just do it it basically says like we're never going to have users right we're just going to have customers we're going to have a very simple value proposition on the front end and then on the back end once they pay us we're just going to solve it for you so like done for you with a combination of service, concierge onboarding, and software. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the customer doesn't even need to know that you've come up with a piece of software to solve their problem. For example, imagine if accounting software didn't exist, right? And the first accounting software comes along and everyone's like, wow, this guy's got an extremely effective pricing model and he does a great job. I'm not sure how he does it, but hey, I'm just going to keep on sending him my documents. That person selling the service can sell it almost like a consulting service if they want to, depending on how they want to frame the value proposition. In my opinion, business is about solving problems. The main problem that I'm trying to solve, for example, by selling websites to tour operators, I'm trying to give them an effective website presence. And I do that using a combination of software that we've built and also the service that comes along with that. So Matt and I are going to talk about the pros and cons of this business model as well as how he's executing it in his business. And it's kind of cool because we're seeing him at the beginning of a new SWAS business. I want to talk a little bit about the theory and how we can put this business model to work for us. So I'm borrowing these ideas from Brian Castle and from his great blog, castjam.com. I'm going to link to this. The links and show notes and everything will be at tropicalmba.com slash SWAS. Okay. So Brian identifies three different ways in which we can put this business model to work for us. The first is you can convert your software product into a SWAS. So if you're a software entrepreneur and you're having trouble getting users, why insist that you have users at all? Instead of say MailChimp insisting that people log into their system and compose emails in the system, why not just have your customers send your support team an email, you know, support at mailbuddy.com. So in other words, your team would become the people that use your software instead of your customers. The second option is to offer a productized service on top of existent software. If you remember the rise of productized services, my friend Damien Thompson and I talked about how he tapped into the Entreport and Infusionsoft ecosystems and offered marketing services on top of that software. So it's like, I'm going to solve all this marketing problem for you. The first step to that is to get you signed up to Infusionsoft or Entreport or whatever. And the third way you can do this is you can offer a productized service along with your software. So if you're already a SaaS entrepreneur and you're looking to add new revenue streams, remember Rob Walling did this with Hittail. He had a text broker content creation API on the back end. So if you're already a member of Hittail, the SaaS service, 
you can then purchase a SWAS on the back end. Thanks again to Brian for pointing that out. So this is some of the ways the business model can look. I asked Matt about the benefits and challenges of running a SWAS business. Okay, so the benefits I've kind of touched on. So you do get the monthly revenue, but you get a lot less of the fall off. So my friends and I have a good experience in terms of no cancellations. I run a very young business, so it's hard to say. But the people I know who run similar businesses for several years, their churn rate, you know, software companies generally measure their churn rate per month. Like these companies measure their churn rate per year in the sense that they'll have churns of five to like 10% is really, really high in that space. You know, you'll lose 5% of your customers a year. That's insane, you know? So you get this really, really beautiful retention because people don't have to work to actually get value out of your service or your software. And another benefit is actually your software doesn't need to be user-friendly anymore. One of the biggest headaches of designing software is to make it actually usable. This is how I actually ended up with this business model was I was trying to design this thing and I didn't, I'm not a designer, so I was trying to direct this project and I just realized, man, I'm no shot at ever making this work. So I was like, wait, if I can just train people for five hours to use the software for me and I have a systemized process of using the website on behalf of the client, then that could really work and I kind of was like, Hang on a second, that actually solves the client's problem a lot better <laughs> because they don't have to sit there learning you know, a piece of website builder software all day long and end up with a piece of crap website anyway because the content is what's important and you need years of marketing experience to learn that anyway. You used to run a network of AdSense sites. Is there anything you miss about running the AdSense sites? Like, What are the unique challenges of running your uh-huh. new business? The good thing about the AdSense websites is obviously just no contact whatsoever. <laughs> so I just built these things and you know, it wasn't like those four or five keyword domain names that you see with AdSense where the idea is every site makes 100 bucks and then you added them up. Like these sites were getting big traffic and we're talking about 50,000 visitors a month to one site, 300,000 visitors a month to another site. The big disadvantage of that is you're so vulnerable. Because those sites, unless you work really hard, they just don't have a brand. So they're vulnerable to whatever the source of the traffic is. And in my case, and I'm happy to talk about this later, I guess, is you know I just got bulldozed by Google one day and it just collapsed. So one of the things I realized is how important it is to have a brand and also to have recurring revenue. Because the business model I've got right now, people sign up and they don't cancel. So the challenges, though, as you asked about, the biggest challenge has been systemizing this. So websites are fairly complex, especially if it's not in an industry that is one and done simple. So restaurants have complexity, but they're fairly one and done in the sense that you know they have menus, they have opening times, they have locations. But tour operators, for example, they let's just say they're very, very creative in the different ways that they come up with to complicate their products. And so that's actually been a big challenge to figure out if I can actually systemize myself out of this. Before we get to talking about Matt's business, I thought it would be cool to identify some examples of similar businesses using the SWAS model. We're going to link to a lot more on the article. So if you want to see examples and browse other businesses like this, tropicalmba.com slash SWAS. And I also asked Matt to donate some business ideas. So if anybody's looking to get started with this, I mean, this is cool, right? You can start a business like this with relatively minimal startup time and very low cost. So I asked Matt, you know, are there any ideas that he feels like podcast listeners could run with? So let's talk about people from the DC. Why not, right? So we have a great success story lately has been Justin McGill from leadfuse.net and that's Fuse with a Z or a Z as you guys might say. (laughs) And his whole premise is that he gets you leads. So he cold emails people and has an email funnel sort of thing where they email people multiple times to try and get responses out of them and stuff like that. And the guarantee, I think, you know, for $300 a month, they'll get you four to eight leads for your business. And this is kind of exploited for him. And he doesn't really specify exactly how they do it, 
But it's obvious that they're using a lot of software to actually make this happen. And, you know, I signed up just a couple of days ago and they had this really cool onboarding process. I get assigned this guy who's going to work with me to come up with that initial sequence. And then once that launches, then obviously it's just going to be automated from then on. And that's quite similar to my own model because there's that onboarding process of getting the company in. And then once someone's onboarded, it's very, very simple after that. That makes me think of a way to generate SWAS ideas is actually just to look at a piece of successful software and then to do exactly what that software does for clients. I'm thinking of like, of course, we know a lot of content agencies that basically do Infusionsoft for clients because there's plenty of business owners who just aren't willing to take on something like Infusionsoft. You know, getdrip.com from Rob Walling. Yeah. I reckon that, that kind of website is a perfect candidate for a very systemizable software with a service because you can sign up and because the software is not that complicated, it wouldn't be that hard to systemize the creation of the, you know, the email campaigns and all that kind of stuff. Right. And you know, just maybe a once a month optimization sort of thing. We've got a few other SWAS examples from DCers. Let's rattle them off because I'm interested. Maybe that'll spark some people's creativity. A lot of people in the website kind of space like I am. So agentfire.com, websites for realtors in America. Realty Ninja, that's websites for realtors in Canada. Town Web Design is websites for small towns in America. And podwp.com is websites for podcasters. Very interesting. So Matt, one of the things that we've had some success on the show with is asking the entrepreneurs who are guests to donate business ideas because you already got your (laughs) business. So I was wondering if we could go through some of the business ideas that you think could be success for a listener looking for an opportunity. One thing that I think would be a good idea is something to do with content repurposing, right? So a lot of people do blog posts or YouTube videos, but you, you know, SlideShare is an extremely valuable space. So what you could do is set up either your own or use someone else's slide presentation software, maybe design, say, 10 templates that are customizable to a brand's needs and just have it systemized so people convert blog posts to SlideShare presentations because they're highly valuable. In my space, in my industry, SlideShare is the number one in terms of the amount of views that a piece of content might get. Wow. Which is crazy, right? But people just get sucked into a wormhole on that thing. Again, there are pieces of software that do this. Like, remember TubeMogul? I don't know if they're still in happening or if they're still doing this business model, but that used to be about like distributing content. For sure. And it's, it's something that's worthwhile, I think, to offer some maybe successful bloggers and say, hey, I can help you leverage your content. Because once you've written content, why not leverage it a bit more? So just getting it out to more places, even better. All you have to do is really copy and paste into a template. Another one would be, say, you've got these sort of link discovery softwares where you can go discover the links of your competitors. Mm-hmm. Why not have a SWAS, a software with a service, where on the client's behalf, you go off and find the links of the competitors and you try to get five of those a month. Very cool. One of the um, ones that I mentioned a lot on the show that I would you know, donate here is how about just like straight up old fashioned MailChimp mailing letter service? You know, whatever it is, like you could take all the content that a brand puts out in a month and you could turn it into a, like an engaging newsletter and then just put it out over MailChimp. There you go. Boom. That's a swass. Yeah, man. You just take it off someone's hands, right? Yeah. But I guess MailChimp's probably too big to worry about this. But I think especially the value is there if you have the software too. Actually, it doesn't really matter like if the client doesn't care, right? It's actually interesting because yeah. if they have MailChimp, yeah. 
they do care. Your target market would be people that have invested in MailChimp with their time or money. I mean, this is what good reason why it might make sense to go up market to something like Infusionsoft. But the point is, is that they're invested and you can help them get more out of their investment. I also noticed that you have a landing page builder here. So that my creative juices are going. I'm thinking uh-huh. there's that piece of software that everybody was buying. I think there still are. There's, of course, lead pages. There was optimized press. So you could basically yep. build a business around a couple VAs, like basically pumping out optimized press landing pages for your clients. I bought Optimize Press a few years ago at like $100. So I'm invested. Like I want those benefits that they promised me. And then I realized I got a whole full-time job of myself making sales pages. That's where the SWAS business model comes in. It's like, could you imagine, for example, you know, instead I would not pay that $100, but I pay $600 and I do a one-hour Skype conversation and boom, I got a sales page. That to me is much more appealing than the $100 and I got to do a bunch of work. One thing that I was thinking of with that landing page builder idea is that in the local SEO space, there's still a lot of value in creating pages for various topics, right? So, you know, in the tour operator space, which is my own, obviously, that you might have a page for bachelor parties and then you might have another page for Valentine's Day celebrations and you just go through all the different niches, you know, church groups and stuff like that. And you create a new, say, landing page like for SEO purposes each month using the software and we're actually thinking of offering this service ourselves to our clients. So one of the things with what we're doing is we're not just offering the website. Now we've got a captive audience and we're using our software. So I'm actually thinking about how to offer additional product as services on top of the base offering as well. Anything that can be really easily systemized and that offers genuine value, why not? You know, one thing you see a lot on Fiverr, actually Fiverr would be a great source of ideas because the only way a lot of people are able to offer stuff on Fiverr for $5 is because they're using software. I don't know, so maybe there'd be some higher value ideas that can be extracted out of that. I have a business, it's called Tourism Tiger, and what we do is websites for tour operators. But we don't just do custom web design, we do it in a systematic way to make it more effective. It actually makes it more affordable too. So they get something that is built using a proven system that will actually help them get more sales and stay with us on a monthly basis to make sure their website actually stays up to date, not just in terms of content, but in terms of technology too. So let's say I own a hostel in Santiago, Chile, where you're at. What would be a product or a service or a SWAS that I could buy from you? I'm more, at the moment, just in tour operators. So like a day tour operator in Santiago would be my business. I will be going to something like hostels in the next few months. So, so let's say talk- I want to take people on a food walking tour. If a day tour, say like a food walking tour comes to me, you know, they'll pay $750 at the moment and that will cover their website setup fee. So what they need to do is fill out the forms and describe their business and we'll figure it out exactly how many pages are needed because they, if they have a big website, they pay more. So they have a set amount of pages included in the site. If they want anything more, they have to pay basically it's about 100 bucks more per page. And the idea of that is, you know, if they get more value out of their site, they should be paying for it. And also, it costs us more work too. And it keeps them more disciplined around the kind of content that they want. And so, they just go through a process where they submit their content and we put it through a checklist. So, I've written guidelines for my project manager about how content should look like if people want to sell. And inevitably, people always upload really crappy content. And so, then there's this back and forth that goes for a couple of weeks as they get their content better and better. And then what we do, we put it on the site. So, we put the photos and the content and present them. You know, it's a fairly nice website. So this to me sounds like consulting or any kind of web developer. So what makes it SWAS and how do you get them to pay you every month? 
it's funny how it does sound like consulting, but the fact is that it's not a custom web design. We have built a website builder on top of WordPress. So there's no custom HTML going on for any website. The website is built by my project manager who knows nothing about HTML and CSS. She literally just clicks the buttons in WordPress to make the website happen. She adds different sections. She selects colors. She selects fonts. It's all done using point and click. And that makes it systemizable. And it also means I don't have to hire people who you know, are web design experts to build the sites. I can literally take someone with a high school education, give them one week of training, and now they're building websites for people. In terms of the, the monthly thing, that actually has been a point of objection with people. But one way I explain it is, firstly, the sign-up fee is really low compared to getting a normal website. So I'm, what I say is, you know, you distribute and cost your website. Secondly, we're going to be improving the conversions over time. So most web designers just abandon you at the moment of the website launch. But we're not going to be like that. We're going to be making it faster. We're going to make it work better on mobile. We're actually going to make all these changes. And because everyone's on this same template system, we make one change to one website, we can make that change to all of the websites at once. So, so they have to pay money to stay on your network of sites, so to speak. And yeah. do you own that site? And what is the monthly fee I got to pay you if I'm a cool. struggling so, tour operator? So there's a $59 a month fee, or you can pay 590 a year. That's the current pricing. And that includes everything. So it includes hosting, it includes WordPress maintenance. You don't actually ever have to log in, ever. So if you want to make a change to your website, just send it through. It will happen for you. Right. So none of this learning how to use your website software and training days with your web designer, none of that. Just send it through. It happens for you. And then obviously we're going to continue to work to improve the sales. The tip of the spear for you guys is basically get an effective website that sells. And that's what's getting people in the door. Are you then selling them you know, TripAdvisor marketing or Google search ranking stuff on the back end? We will be in selling them certain things. So the very first cab off the rank which is coming is a basic link building service. So what we'll be doing is just local citations, which are really good for local SEO. So you're just getting them their business mentioned on various websites. That's very easy to systemize and it's going to be profitable for me and also profitable for them because I have experience offering this service and it always works, always. So it's something I feel like I can put my name behind. Tell me a little bit about the scale of the business, like how old is it and uh-huh. why did you choose this? I mean, you could have done <laughs> anything. You have a great podcast, you've written a book, done other businesses in the past. So what does this business look like and how did you land on it? The business has been launched for a few months now, although there was a long process prior to launch. So I launched the business at the same time I launched the book, which was January 25th. And, you know, we've done almost $5,000 in revenue so far. So it is early days, but if you look at the growth charts of pretty much any normal small business like this, this is what it looks like. So we're pretty comfortable with where we're at. In terms of how I picked the niche, you know, I came up with the idea before I picked the niche. So I was like, all right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look up the, the highest earning small business niches. I'm going to sell to the number one highest earning <laughs> business niche, right? Turns out that's dentists. And it looks like a lot of other people had the same sort of thoughts because there's a, a few people in this space, you know, trying to sell local SEO marketing. And I was like, Okay, I don't want to compete with all these guys who are seriously badass marketers. So let's look at the next one. Next one's accountants. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go accountants. Those guys suck at marketing. And then I just realized I don't give the slightest shit about accountants. You know, I was just thinking about the kind of blog posts I would write. And it was just like, man, I wouldn't even last a week. One thing I've learned from my previous businesses is you've got to give at least something of a crap about the niche. Because, you know, I had this car website that got to thousands of visits. It died for various reasons, but the core of it was I didn't care enough to build it properly. And the same with the medical information website I had. So I was like, if I'm going to launch a business, I need to know that I can carry it 
past the initial wave of excitement. And the only niche I could see myself doing that for was tourism. So you've been in business for you're getting on to about half a year now. What are the mistakes that you feel like you've made? So many. Because <laughs> a lot of people are at Genesis yeah. stage here, so they can go yeah, back yeah. and maybe you can save them four or five months. Absolutely. I would recommend what everyone says, and that's try to get sales earlier on. It, the excuse that you make to yourself, oh, I need to work on this product and do it in private, and it's not ready to sell yet. And in my case, that was kind of true because I, I can't design and I can't develop. So I was kind of hostage to the people I was working with, and also the fact that I didn't know how long this process would take. So imagine if I sell someone, and six months later, I still haven't even started. I would have definitely tried to figure out a way to spend a lot less time researching and just go straight in mm-hmm. and launch, say, an inferior product on the back end, one that's say a lot less flexible, maybe a lot more custom just to get some clients up. Another big mistake was I didn't market. So I've started my blog now and you know it's, it's gradually gathering momentum and I'm starting this podcast. I've written a book. But when I first had the idea, I should have started blogging then and I should have started with my content then because now I'd be up to 40 podcast episodes and 80 blog posts and had this huge audience to market to. But I waited till I was ready to launch and that was probably the biggest mistake. You mentioned you know, you're looking at this space quite a bit and looking at what other DCers are doing and what other SWAS entrepreneurs are doing. What marketing channels are working for this? I mean, is this something that you can run AdWords to or is it content marketing or, you know, a lot of the people that I've seen having success, they're great salespeople. I'm curious what your approach is to marketing. So that's one of the interesting things. We tried a lot of, just before we launched, we're trying to do a lot of cold emails and I tried cold calls. I even made, I get this, I made like 40 video reviews of people's websites where I literally went through the website and showed them what was wrong with it. It did nothing. So in my space, the cold thing didn't work. But if you look at town web design, you know, and I know I can share this publicly because he shared this on my own podcast, cold works for him. He sends these, these letters and these flyers and it just works. You look at other niches, and they use PPC. Like PPC is not an option for me because people aren't searching for they're not aware of it. But in the real estate web design space, people are aware that people specialize in this. So PPC is an opportunity there. I think PPC is an opportunity in restaurants, for example. But for us, it's definitely going to be a combination of content marketing and also just good old relationships to get the referrals. And it seems like you got a lot in a SWAS style business since you don't have an army of developers working for you. You know, you got a lot more meat profitability there to market the business. So you could go after multiple channels potentially. Yeah, one of the things is that I'm not a huge purist when it comes to software, right? So if you're running a startup and you try to get investment, you can't build your website builder on WordPress and you can't get funding for it unless you have a very big amount of users validating your idea. But the thing is, it's my own thing and I'm bootstrapping. I don't care what people think. So the CTO of WordPress is effectively my CTO because half the software is built by WordPress. And then we used a couple of really powerful plugins that do another 30% of the work. So the programmer I have, I have one programmer who works 15 hours a week. He feels in that last 20% to bring those really powerful plugins and use them to create our website builder. Matt, let's try a little segment called Storytime with Matt. We've known each other for a long time, and there's a bunch of things that I want to, I'm just curious about. So thank you for submitting yourself to this intrusive questioning. The first question I have is, I know you're a part of Startup Chile, and I just want to know what that's like. Like, how much money did you get? Why did you do it? You know, what's the attraction of that for you? And is it a scam? Do you get down there and hang out with a bunch of wackos and you have to do all kinds of slave labor? Or what's what's going on down there? <laughs> so Startup Chile gives you $32,500 
at the current exchange rates to come down. It's equity free. All you have to do for six months is hang out in Santiago and also give something back in terms of giving a bit of time by doing the occasional talk to universities or high schools or business meetings where you educate people on about business. And the, the crew here is really great. So Startup Chile did catch a bit of flack in early generations because people were criticizing the entrepreneurs coming down saying they were just here to party. But I would say that is not the case for my generation. There's a whole bunch of smart, hungry people working on real, not like pie in the sky, or I've got a mobile app for social or whatever, you know, the kind of stereotypical stuff you see on a program like Silicon Valley. like They're working on legit businesses and on cool stuff and it's been super stimulating and exciting to be part of it. So I think people can kind of explore the benefits for themselves, but how do you get selected? I mean, I guess from my prejudice, I wouldn't have guessed that they would want to give money to a bootstrapped SWAS business. You know what I mean? I thought it was more techy or whatever. So how did you get the money or how did you get accepted? And do you feel like it's difficult to do so? Okay, so you definitely have to have a software component to get into Startup Chile. And there are exceptions. You know, people have those productized monthly, you know, I'm going to send you a packet of coffee startups. Right. But the general focus is that the more you seem like a startup, the more likely you are to get in. So if you have a technology component, that's a big tick. If you have, you know, a previous acquisition or previous experience, that's obviously a big tick. You know, if you've gone to Stanford or, you know, a famous university, that helps. Or if you've worked for Google, Microsoft, Facebook, Twitter, all those guys, you know, typical kind of pedigree that they're looking for. But at the same time, I would say to people, if you're thinking of applying, don't be discouraged. A lot of people are discouraged by the amount of applicants that apply. But if you put together a good application, give them what they're looking for, and just do your best, really, you have a good chance of getting in. Yeah, because you don't have any of those pedigrees. So how did you signal that to them that you would be a great uh-huh. person to invite and give a bunch of free money to? I don't really have the famous university degree hanging on my wall and stuff like that. So what I did was emphasize, say, my networks. So I talked about the DC a bit. And also I talked about how with my previous sites, I'd taken them to millions of visitors total, which is true. My sites historically have gotten between them well over 5 million visits. So I talked about that sort of marketing aspect as well. So the second story I want to hear about, maybe it makes sense to reintroduce the string quartet here, is (laughs) you wrote a book. Oh, yeah. And this is, you know, along with like travel, find the love of my life, you know, hang out with the Rolling Stones. This is like, this is something that everybody wants in their life. They want to write a book too, including myself. So tell me the story of what inspired you and how you did it and how it's going for you. You know, it was funny. I never really had that much of a dream to write a book. It just seemed like too much effort, right? And then, you know, I was working on this idea of Tourism Target and, and someone gave me the idea of why don't you put together just like a coffee table book. This came out of a brainstorming session with another DCA. I basically said, all right, I'm going to come up with a basic book with one tip for each page. You know, I'm going to give 101 tour marketing tips and it's going to be so simple. And then I start writing it. And I start writing the first tip and then I find myself writing a page explaining what I mean by that tip. <laughs> and after about five tips worth of page long explanations, I just realized, oh, this is going to be a bit longer than I thought, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's going to be 15,000 words. And I started, kept on writing, got to 10,000 words. I'm like, man, I've barely even took a bite out of this elephant yet. So then I basically backpedaled and I was like, all right, how am I actually going to structure this book? And I thought about it a bit harder. I set a plan and stuff like that. And basically, I had a goal to write 2,000 words a day 
by 10 a.m. Some days I achieved that. Most days I achieved that because I had this really hard goal and many times I achieved it literally with two minutes left by 10 a.m. And yeah, so within a couple of months, you know, after editing and all that kind of stuff, I had a 53,000 word book. And it's funny, the actual revision part took longer than the writing part. I was reading it over and over again, trying to find mistakes, trying to clear up ideas, trying to clean up sentences. I ran every single chapter through a grammar software, which kind of shows where your sentences are too long and stuff like that. That wasn't fun. But, you know, it's finished. It's up there. It's on Amazon. It's called Sell More Tours. If you can't figure out what it's about, you need help. How's it working out for your business? Has it been effective? Yes and no. So it hasn't got many sales. I haven't checked in a couple of days, but it would have gotten in the vicinity of 40 to 50 sales. So it is early, but you know that up to $5,000 of revenue I just mentioned, nearly all of those people have read the book and it was part of the process of them signing up with me. So they got in touch, they read the book, then they signed up. So actually what happens is they read five chapters of the book and they're like, okay, this guy's a badass, he knows what he's talking about, I'm just going to sign up. That fits really nicely with the one hour rule that never really took flight as a content concept, but it's this idea of like, if people have your voice in their head for like an hour talking about the specific problems that they've got, that's what they need in order to send you six, seven hundred, eight hundred dollars I guess the takeaway is it's like, you know, if you're going to have a business like this, you're really selling yourself short if you don't sit down and at least give them like a 10,000 word read, you know, five to 10,000 words about things that they can do if they don't hire you. That's the real value of SWAS, right? Because you're explaining all the wonderful things about like why you need this campaign, like why you need to do all this shit. Yeah. And they believe it and it's true. And then it's like, yeah. F, who's going to do the work? Oh, there's Matt. <laughs> yeah, well, the book is super practical. It starts with marketing principles and then it just gets super tactical. Like, here's how you should actually be doing YouTube. Here's how you should actually be doing SEO. Here's how you should actually be doing social. And a lot of those tips, I could literally just hand off to someone and say, systemize this, we're going to offer this as a service. One other thing I wanted to ask you about, Matt, and you've agreed to talk about this and I appreciate it. So I was really impressed with your last business. You were really clever. I just remember thinking, wow, like this guy's got it figured out how to game the system and how to make these websites that get, you know, tens of thousands of visitors monthly. And, you know, everybody loves that business model, right? It's like, I'm just going to put websites on the internet, put a couple of affiliate links, and I'm going to just watch my bank account fill up. And you were one of the guys who had actually were doing that. But then Google came along and wiped the whole thing away. And everybody says, you know, this kind of thing's possible, but I just want to hear it from the horse's mouth. Tell me how it went down. Right. So the interesting thing, actually, before I mentioned how it went down, I had stopped working, really properly working on it for such a long time that it's kind of bears proof that you need to work in a niche that you're proud and passionate to work in. And it was just it was on autopilot making you know, thousands of dollars a month or whatever. Along came Google. So one day I'm reading Hacker News and people are talking about something with SEO, which is not a topic that comes up much on Hacker News, actually. And I reply and I'm talking about when it's actually good to use Black Hat SEO. And I talked about one or two times where I'd sniped people out of the results. And basically, and I still believe it to this day, it's a perfectly ethical thing if a spammer, like a pure spam website, has somehow managed to rank in the top 10, it is perfectly okay to use whatever technique it takes to knock that site out. If that involves exploiting Google's algorithm, then so be it. I never attacked a legitimate website. And I was very, very clear about this in the comments. But people were like, man, how does it feel to be the scum of the earth? You know, you're like a leech and... (laughs) You're a little bloodsucker. How do you sleep at night? I'm like, well, quite easily. I'm actually helping clean up the Google results if you actually read what I just said. You know, but they really piss people off. Within six hours, I think six to eight hours, every single website that I had in Google Analytics, which had any sort of shady SEO, so like I'd bought like a couple of links once or 
you know, my content was could have been a slightly better quality. All of it was penalized. Just bang, 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 bang. So including those two websites that were getting a lot of visitors, because of my lack of passion, I just reverted to, you know, one or two paid link strategies. And by one or two, I mean, it was like 20 or 30 links. It wasn't like I was, you know, some of those gigantic websites out there that buy thousands. But it was enough to technically justify a penalty, and that's what happened. So literally, it was amazing. My income dropped a lot. <laughs> I can't remember the percentage, but you know, I was consulting as well at the time, but that side of my business dropped 90% in a day. Wow. So, you know, speculation is the fun part now. I mean, it's just incredible though that things can turn on a dime from one comment on the web. It was either, you know, some really clever computer person that wanted to go vigilante or it could have been someone that worked at Google that saw it and was like, uh, you know what? Oh, F this guy. It would absolutely be someone who works at Google because it was one, it was so fast. Two, I got official notifications from Google that my website had been penalized and three it wasn't like the person just went boom on my google analytics account like i had websites that i hadn't done anything shady like not even slightly at all and none of those websites were touched only the websites where i'd done anything slightly wrong were touched which means that someone had analyzed my account and then taken it out i guess you tend to think of google kind of like it's a sausage factory but you don't think about the sausage you know you just think that they've got like hal 9000 back there making the right decision about the future of humanity. But in fact, it could be somebody who's like, I was on Hacker News earlier this morning while I was on coffee break and I don't really like what this guy said and so I'm going to change the way we do business here. If you're going to be a public personality on the web then, I mean, is there anything that you could have done that would have prevented this? I mean, was it because you were using Google Analytics or how did they trace one to the other? Basically, it was a bit of a noob mistake to put everything on the one Google Analytics, but part of that laziness that had come about because I'd stopped caring, you know. So definitely the Google Analytics thing. I was using a username on Hacker News that I'd only used ever once before, and that was on an old Twitter account. So the typical way to, to track someone down on an anonymous forum is to Google their username and see if they're using it somewhere else that can be linked back to them. And pretty sure that's how it happened because I was able to trace myself back through that username very quickly once I got penalized. Like, wait, what the heck? This is weird timing. And I found myself in two steps, you know, using that method. So it makes a lot of sense that that happened because a lot of Google employees all over Hacker News just takes one person to email the spam team and say, hey, did you see this? This is a bit wrong. And bang. Thanks for sharing that. It's a really curious, interesting story. And it sounds like all for the better. It sounds like you're pretty engaged with what you're doing right now. Speaking of which, yeah. I don't generally ask this question, but you are kind of like all across the web. Do you think the web agency <laughs> podcast is the best place to point people to if they're interested in finding out more about what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So Web Agency Podcast is a great, or well, I hope it's a great resource for anyone who's <laughs> running any kind of digital agency. We'd love to hear your thoughts. I think this is a really exciting opportunity for people looking to start new businesses or add revenue streams onto their current ones. You can join the discussion at tropicalmba.com slash SWAS. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.